Hello and welcome to Planet Wool, a podcast from the International Wool Textile Organization. We would like to say thank you to the Australian Wool Innovation and the Woolmark Company for supporting the production of this podcast. Australian Wool Innovation and the Woolmark Company, owned by and working for Australian wool growers across research, development and marketing of the world's greatest fibre. At Planet Wool, we bring you a series of wool industry experts from the 85th Congress of the International Wool Textile Organization. In this episode, you hear a panel discussion as part of the retail forum of the Adoptier Congress. Each part of the wool pipeline has a role to play in carrying wool's message through to the consumer. Created with the support of the Woolmark Company, the Wool Retail Forum fosters mutual understanding of this process from farm to retail. I would now like to welcome to the stage our other speakers for today's retail forum. Firstly, we have Melinda O'Rourke, a luxury consultant with more than 20 years of senior executive experience. Melinda is currently the Chief Business Development Officer of Emerald Group Investments, a leading privately owned luxury goods and services group in the Australasian region, and whose brand portfolio includes Bang & Olufsen, luxury recruitment consultancy MO Recruit, Rolex and Loewe. Prior to her work with Emerald Group, Melinda worked in senior roles such as country manager for brands such as Prada, Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent in Australia and New Zealand. And next we have Eva Galambos, an icon in the Australian fashion industry. Beginning her career with a sales agency promoting Australian designers, Eva then became responsible for introducing the Australian market to international brands with the establishment of multi-brand boutique Parlor X. Originally located in a Victorian terrace in Sydney's eastern suburbs and housing brands including Celine, Balenciaga and Valentino, Parlor X recently relocated to its spectacular new site in a converted former church, exponentially increasing the store's footprint and offering customers an even more uh, immersive retail experience. Please join me in welcoming today's speakers. In today's conversation, I would like to come uh, cover some of the key factors affecting and influencing retail today. Because while we've heard uh, over the past few days about things like research and development of the wool fibre, our industry relies on consumer demand and its for its prosperity. And like the rather erratic weather we are seeing more and more, consumer sentiment and shopping habits are shifting at an incredible pace. This is perhaps nowhere more evident than in the digital space. With the advent of online shopping and the incredible trajectory of, of businesses such as Net-A-Porter and Mr. Porter, we have seen in the wake of that many traditional businesses, uh, br traditional brick and mortar businesses struggle to compete. Many brands struggle to adapt and many new interesting markets emerge. Certainly, I don't think many people in the Northern Hemisphere would have expected that Australia, for one, would, be, would come to form one of the top three global markets for these online stores. But while online shopping is perhaps suited to smaller purchases, such as accessories, it can prove trickier for garments that require more fitting, such as a suit or piece of clothing. And Melinda, I thought I might start with you because you've been involved with brands uh, right across this shift over the past decade or more. And so I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on how, on how much online retail has changed the way that we do business in the retail industry. 
Um, I'm on. Hello. <laughs> um, look, I think it's probably one of the most. Um, it's one of the largest aspects that um, have changed. It, it's been an amazingly dynamic. I mean, fashion's always dynamic, but the online experience has added um, many other dimensions and another dimension. And I think a lot of, and I'm, particularly I'm speaking from a luxury perspective, um, the, the luxury brands particularly ha had found it quite difficult to embrace online because it's very much about um, protection, control, understanding and having that conversation, you know, with your customer. And so this was a very, very difficult kind of opportunity, but also it was actually feared, I would say, in the early stages of, of, of the online, um, you know, evolution. But what it's actually, of course, done in the evolution of, of online is as it's embraced and done properly, it has given all of the brands an amazing opportunity to speak to many more customers than they have been able to previously. So um, your point, Mitchell, that Australia has an incredibly voracious appetite for online. Um, for the last you know, four years and, and right through to most recent, we do play in that top two and three in some of the big um, international net porter Mr Porter, uh, even some of the English and American retail um, department stores. So we really punch up our weight. And I know Australians love a per capita stat, but we're pretty good actually on the global, global scale. Um, it's actually, we have a voracious appetite. I think it's because we're a very isolated country. Australia specifically um, is very keen and it's opened up you know, a huge opportunity, but it certainly doesn't change what happens at bricks and mortar. I think it's actually we can also see a lot of online brands that are also moving into bricks and mortar because there is still that customer touch point that's incredibly um, vital and Eva would be the perfect person to also talk about this. But I think luxury is, has, has, is getting there. I don't think they're there. Some brands do a lot better than others. Um, but it's still about driving that into the, into, into the, into the obviously, a transaction, whether that's online or into the retail space. And Paolo, we spoke about this yesterday at, at, at ACL about Xenia moving into the online space and perhaps the challenges that is, exist there when you're selling suits and, and something that requires um, the, the touch to the hand. But how have you seen um, launching a, a website and an online store as benefiting the Xenia brand? We approached that maybe a little bit later because, in fact, originally we thought that... The how can you sell online something which we praise that need to be touched and worn and, uh, and you have to fill in? Uh, then on one side, we uh, in fact realize that uh, whatever you sell can always be returned in case that eventually is not uh, on, uh, on the same line as uh, the expectation of the customers. Uh, we also realize that in fact for the time being, the online uh, works particularly with the accessories. But... Uh, what made us really putting a lot of strengths and efforts in, uh, in developing it to the point that, uh, in fact, we put uh, a member, the first member of the new generation of the family in charge of it, totally be independent with his own approach, younger uh, generation approach, um, is that we believe that is part of the service to the customer. So when we, we talk about the e-commerce, we have more in mind the approach to omni-channel that allows the customer to eventually see things on the internet and then buying into the shop or seeing things in the shop and then buying through the internet. So in the end, we have a focus on the customer, whether it is 
the approach to a younger customer that may be attracted through these new tools or is simply offering an additional service to our customer. But as we try to please it as, as much as, uh, as, as we can, we thought that the e-commerce and the approach and uh, all the technology and information technology in the shop were the best way for us to, uh, to respond to him. You would see this as well uh, in that ParlorX is first and foremost a, a physical retail space, but you do sell online as well. It, do you see a difference in what people are buying online in comparison to what they're coming into the store to buy? Yes, hello. Um, yes, we definitely have a, um, a, a, a um, established online business, so we can definitely compare and contrast between the two. Um, there's, I think people who purchase online purchase safer products um, and safer items also being bigger ticketed items, meaning obviously more expensive. So purchasing a handbag and purchasing a pair of shoes um, seems less of a risk in terms of return than purchasing a garment. But usually um, our clients who purchase in the luxury, luxury um, sphere I guess it would be quite similar to purchasing a Xenia item or a Xenia suit. They're very familiar with luxury. So they understand the brands. They're usually more often than not, they've purchased the brands before. They know the way they fit. They know the way that they're constructed. So more often than not, they actually are quite comfortable and more comfortable purchasing luxury because they trust the fit models going to probably be the same fit model for the past 10 years. And they trust that from a quality perspective, they're going to actually be getting what, they're, what, 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 what they see online in those pictures are actually what they're going to be receiving as opposed to potentially buying something that looks and feels completely different when they receive it in their box. So I actually have a, a, a different experience. I feel that the luxury sector um, is evolving even more so and I believe that people are very confident purchasing bigger ticketed items. But there's no question that shoes and handbags feel safer. Um, but buying a knit, buying a sweater, um, buying a shirt, um, people are just as easily comfortable in terms of purchasing. You say that that comes from the recognition of the brand, but does that extend to things like quality? Because of course in store you can see the handmade stitches, you can feel the cloth, but online you can't. But do people feel safe because they know the brand? Yeah, I think it's... it's it, it goes part in the parcel. So we try to definitely encourage people um, if they live nearby when they're making purchases to come in store because we want to give them that personalised experience. We, um, we believe that experience and creating that special experience is what is going to transform a brand new client into becoming a repeat client. And that's our aim. That's our projection, to make sure that we're growing constantly clientele that are, go that are going to be repeat purchases. So if they live nearby, the aim is to try to, you know, encourage them or decourage them from, um, discourage them from shopping online and actually pulling them in, in store. And if we realise that they come from a, a more remote area and that's going to be difficult, then we encourage them to actually pick up the phone or we'll pick up the phone to call them and then we can talk them through the stitching and the detail. We can actually give them the history and the story behind that brand. We're an ambassador. So at luxury level, when we, when we start purchasing luxury, we're called partners. Um, and, it, you know, I guess it's it, it, because we become ambassadors for the brand and they entrust us to be selling these incredible, beautiful craft, craftsman product um, in a certain way. And part of that 
um, process is the sales process. So we take that very seriously. So in terms of presentation, in terms of online, and in terms of presenting within a bricks and mortar environment, we try to encourage as much dialogue as we possibly can so that we can actually um, give them as much product knowledge. But it's not just that, it's also give them our passion and our love, um, which is also very important as well. They are parting with their hard-earned cash and they know and understand what value for money is, and part of the value for money is also the experience. So we try to tr translate that and we try to transcend that um, in the entire overall shopping experience, whether it be online or whether it be within bricks and mortar. And, and obviously, women do shop differently to men, and we, we've seen that in the way that uh, different multi-brand businesses operate. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, Paolo, if... Um, uh, suiting, I guess, is, is always rooted in, in wool, um, with some exceptions at the lower end of the market. But is the customer knowledge about the micron or the provenance of the cloth, is that something important uh, to, to the customer when they're coming in to buy a suit, do you think? I hope, uh, I think it is, but I hope it will be even more important. And what uh, Eva was, in fact, uh, uh, just saying um, is our duty to tell the full story is a little bit about what I said before. I think that uh, from now on, uh, we can skip for being transparent. And I would say that, you know, if you want to be positive, proud of what you do and tell the people why you do things and, why, and how you do things. Uh, because today the, the, the customers are so much bombarded by, by, by messages um, from all over, and in fact, all the internet is, is uh, even more uh, passing messages, that I think that in order to help uh, the consumer to understand or to fulfill his requirements of more information, you have to tell the story. So, um, you know, when you, you mention uh, our buying the, the bull farm, uh, it comes back uh, well before all these new requirements of today, but uh, that was a dream that we wanted to achieve, that uh, finally wanted to achieve. Now we know that we have another piece of history that is worth to tell the customers. And uh, if in fact the customers get all the positiveness of every single step how the product that is offered is made of, I think that he will have a better uh, possibility to judge and, and decide. And on a practical level, do you, oh, sorry. No, sorry, I was <laughs> just gonna say I totally agree on that, and I can elaborate later on if you like, yeah. I was going to say on a, on a practical level, um, you, you know, you have initiatives like the Wool Awards. For the customer going into a store, though, can they see the results of the, the progression that the wool industry is making each year uh, with the fleece? I mean, uh, do you think that the, the suits and the, the cloth being used is getting lighter and, and that's noticeable for them at the, at the end stage? I don't know if it is not, uh, noticeable. Uh, sometimes, you know, the differences are so light and uh, so sophisticated and too technical, maybe, for him to understand. But you have to try to anyhow tell them in a proper language, in something that he understands, uh, not because he doesn't understand it, but because it's, it may be, in fact, sometimes difficult for us as well, is to try to give more information. Uh, so you have to, to, to build up the, 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 the whole thing you want to tell, and then you have to find the right language for him to, to, to understand and for our salespeople to, to speak and, uh, and teach. I mean, uh, one of the, the major problems that sometimes the internet facilitate is that you go through a salesman that he may be 
woke up uh, in the morning in the, in, the, in, the, in the wrong mood and is not transmitting the message when we want the message to be properly transmitted all over the way. And then just moving on, an another element that we're seeing in the fashion and, and accessories industry at all, uh, all levels of the market is personalization or the bespoke process. And you see brands and big brands like uh, Burberry showcasing buy it now runway collections where you can see the runway show and you can go online and buy those products right away. And at the same time, you can have a scarf or a bag monogrammed with your initials and have it sent out within days. And uh, in fact, we're seeing this beyond the fashion industry to things like um, custom-made bicycles or furniture or automotive too. And uh, Melinda, I, I wanted to ask you why you think we've seen such a growth in something that's personalized. I mean, is it, is it to do with the, the sort of me culture that we have in the 21st century or, or does it speak to this greater notion of authenticity that people are looking for? Um, absolutely. Uh, great increase in personalization and I think it's a combination. I would say it's very much more about a couple of factors but there is so much available and the more people that are buying into luxury, the luxury consumers are also wanting to differentiate within that, within their own um, brands. And um, so there is a sense sometimes, going back to, to, to the me, is I, I want to differentiate. So therefore, if I have a personalised um, handbag or I have particular different stitching in my Hermes Birkin, and it, it means that I've been able to... It's not, off, it's not an off-the-rack. And... Luxury brands have needed to introduce this personalization in order to, with, as Paolo said, there's so much noise, there's so much opportunity, there's so many options for everyone. How do you actually keep um, customers loyal? Because it's a very different, because we talked about the internet earlier, there's so much more choice, there's so much more availability, which is wonderful for customers, but for the brands, it is, it is more difficult for them to actually keep them in. Years ago, it was I'm a Vuitton customer or I'm a Gucci customer or I'm a, you know, a Chanel customer, but now I might buy, buy across five or six different brands. Um, so, and also you buy high luxury and you might buy you know, high street brands as well. So that's also another uh, difference. But monograms and personalisations is like the bicycles, it's like the unique experiences that you're giving clients. Luxury brands need to evolve and actually listen to the customers and they're wanting these bespoke pieces. And it does also play into the fact that they love the brand and they want to understand the stories behind the brands. And the more that it's, you know, it's the leather, it's the wool, you know, you might have your beautiful initials in, in one of a wool, a wool suit or whatever it might be inside a handbag. But that then also truly becomes a very personalised, the brand is speaking to me, they've made a very individualised um, product for me and that also takes that relationship to a much higher level. And Eva, you have this in, in Parlor X as well because while you buy uh, ready-to-wear co collections, you also have relationships with some of your designers where they create special capital collections just for your store. Is that something that's driven by the customer, do you think? It's it's something that I um, yeah it, the, the cust unquestionably the customers love that, um, but it's something that I thought about um, a little while ago, and obviously was um, you know it all comes down to the relationships that I have with the individual brands and who would be willing to do small runs and create something bespoke. But we we it, you know my background is commercial, so I used to work in wholesale marketing, so I'm 
constantly thinking outside of the box in terms of retailing um, because, you know, going back to the same point that everybody's trying to have a point of difference. So if you're a retailer and you're offering the same collections, yes, your buy is unique so your edit is different and you're selecting different pieces from a 500-piece collection that is unique to yourself and what you are offering to your client that's going to give them a point of difference. But there has to, go, there has to be an experience or there has to be a relationship that... Um, is immeasurable and goes beyond that. So, you know, why why would why are people coming and shopping either online or in the bricks and mortar space at Parlor X as opposed to shopping on Net-A-Porter or shopping on Matches or shopping at any of our competitors? So we're constantly thriving, strategizing, and um, determined to find solution and ways to offer unique experience or to offer an experience that is more relevant and appeals more to our clientele to make sure that they spend their money with us. And going back to the points that we had before, part of that part of that um, that brainstorming process is um, is offering them product that they want. I mean, it's very easy for a retailer to say, "Oh, you know, it's it's not me, and it's not my buy, and um, you know, I'm not making money, and uh, you know, unfortunately, we've had a really bad week. It's the rain, or it's the economy, or it's it's you know, at the end of the day." Figures speak. The world is spending money. They're just not spending it with you. You need to be offering a product that people want. Um, and you need to be offering a product that has a point of difference. Otherwise, they'll either buy it from you or they're going to go online and they're going to find it cheaper from somebody else. So why are they going to be spending their hard-earned dollars and cash with you? That's because you're offering them an, ex an extra part of the experience um, and that comes down to relationships and history. So part of it, apart from the collaborations we do, so I just want to get back to that point that you had before. I was really moved. Like, you know, sitting there listening to the story of Xenia and, and listening to your passion and, um, and need to communicate how important it is that the animals are treated really well, sold. For me, I'm a vegetarian. I love animals. The minute I know that that is an important factor and an important part of your story, I'm sitting there and I'm already thinking, I want to go, I want to be buying my husband his entire wardrobe from Xenia. That's it. Like, I'm done. You know, and the thing is, <laughs> at, luxury, at luxury level, that's the bottom line. You have an informed clientele. They, um, they you know, not all of them are extremely informed, but a lot of them are very, very informed informed. They're buying products because either they've seen it through subliminal advertising, they've seen it in magazines, they've seen it on street star sites. They're aware. They know what's going on. They either want to be copycat and just buy the exact same thing or they want to emulate a particular star that influences them. So at the end of the day, the the you know, offering that point of difference and making it feel special and unique to them, part of them is the storytelling. So part of it is when they're coming in there, because let's face it, businesses like, like mine, whilst we do rely on new business all the time and we're constantly trying to attract new people, one of the most important things is to be servicing our existing clientele and making sure that they're coming back all the time and nobody else is stealing them from us and keeping them satisfied and making sure that everything is fresh and new so they don't get bored with us as well. So making sure that we share and through my staff share our experiences, share the relationships that me as the buyer has with the different houses that we work with. When they're when they're leaving after this, you know, they're trying on their their um, multitudes of outfits, and while everything's being packed up and they're paying for everything, and the girls are explaining, oh, you do realise, you know, when our buyers were in Paris just now and they had dinner with the designer, or you know, they went to the show and they saw this, that, and the other. While they're t they're, they're telling the full story and they're explaining the relationship that Parlorex has to the product, 
the people are walking away feeling informed. They're feeling as if they've got a story, a bit of an education. They've learnt something that they wouldn't necessarily have, have any other knowledge that they wouldn't necessarily have gotten if they shopped online somewhere else. And that is all a part of the extra experience that they're receiving. Now, to be told... And not only do we have this incredible relationship with the designer, but actually our buyer worked with the designer to produce this collection especially for Parlor X. Well, that's second to none. Because not only are you telling them nowhere else has it, but you're, they're also saying, wow, they're, they're, they're thinking the buy, that you know, it's in, ingraining in them more confidence in the buyer's ability to be able to secure a deal and to be able to offer something that is a unique experience to them. And they feel privileged to be able to buy into that experience. And you know, these are money can't buy experiences that are just part of the process that they would never have if they shopped anywhere else. And that is the aim of what we're trying to do all the time. Mitchell, can I add something just to, to summarise what she rightly said? I think that there is a basic difference, and I think it is the top of uh, what could be our business. Instead of feeling the, uh, the making the customer feeling I'm buying from Zenia, to move him to Zenia has produced something for me. It makes a huge difference. And in fact, I was realizing that our best and fastest growing uh, part of the business, there are two today, the two fastest growing business are uh, wool sportswear, so for the benefit of all the people involved, and the made-to-measure. And these tells a lot of what uh, we have been saying around the, around the, on, on the stage. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, Sumasura um, aspect of the business, which of course you've had since the 1970s, that made-to-measure service. Just how much can a customer personalize when they come in to have a suit made from scratch? How much? I mean, today, uh, to the extreme, we can make fabric designed by the, the, the consumer. So we, we, we try to, to get to the utmost uh, technical uh, process to make it feeling part of. Um, it has huge opportunities. Uh, it's an extremely difficult uh, uh, process to handle uh, in technology, in, in the entire process in logistic, but it is what we believe is going to be one of the major ways for us to become even stronger than what we are today. Melinda, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what makes a brand so popular at any one time, because we see, we see it change so often. I mean, in the, in the past six months, we've seen a brand from Eastern Europe, Vetements, that you know, no one had heard about six or 12 months ago, become the thing that everyone around the world wants and every store wants to stock. What is it that, that makes a brand so popular so instantly and, and resonate with, with customers? That's, there's a lot to answer because I, there's many answers. I think, uh, again, it's, if you think about the brands in the world that I work with, which is luxury, it's provenance, it's heritage, it's rarity, it's, it's exclusivity, it's all of those key elements that go into... Whatever it is, if it's a handbag, it's a suit, um, it's a fine jewellery, it's a watch. It's those things and they have been consistent for, is it, you know, 100 years, 200 years. You think about all the brands that we, 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 we look up to that are continually successful and they have made these incredibly successful and sustainable businesses. It's because they've been consistent. Now, it doesn't mean that they've not been relevant so brands 
that are to be successful must evolve. That's very, very important. But it's also continuing to talk about and tell the stories that we've said. It's very important for the consumers to make sure that... I mean, a perfect example is when there's a creative director change. And if anyone's been interested in what's happening in France and Italy, there's been so many creative director changes in the last you know, six months or a year. But if someone, for example, was a very strong Marc Jacobs customer at Louis Vuitton for so many years, Nicolas Gesquier coming in is a really big change. So the brand has to understand that those existing customers are so, so crucial because they're so valuable. Um, but the brand to maintain that success is understanding that the brand needs to evolve and then they need to rightly bring the clients with them on that journey. Um, Eva and I were having a little chat before we got on stage and, you know, I think the great thing is what makes a great brand, going back to your point, I'm a great believer in consistency, beautiful, beautiful product um, in everything, the quality, you know, not only in how it's made, it's, it's, it's the company, it's the philosophy, um, it's, the, it's the storytelling, it's the staff, it's the stores, it's the whole experience, it's absolutely everything. But you also need great marketing or no one's going to know about your brand. And, and that... And that keeps people interested. But then if what they're seeing in the imagery is not being delivered online or in store, then customers won't last very long because, again, they've got many other choices, as Eva was saying before. You're constantly thinking how you keep your brand. So successful brands, I'm a real very big believer in the word consistency. They have to be always thinking ahead, but always being very much um, remind a strategy of what are the core principles of our, of our product of our story and how can we weave that into, um, you know, the new, the current and, and kind of maintain that modernity, which is very important. I see it in, in Paris every season when, when you go. I mean, when you're looking at brands to buy or a new brand to bring into the store, do they, do, do, you, do you look at uh, how many, uh, what their social media following is or who's wearing it? I mean, is it, is it important? I love this question. <laughs> um, I love this question because this is, these, are, these are the sorts of conversations that the last couple of seasons, whenever I'm in Paris or Milan, I'm sitting at the dinner table with all my kind of international friends who are agents and working in the industry as well. This is what we're sitting around and talking about at the, at the moment. So that's a bit of insight as to what what's going on in, um, at the dinner parties, at the shows, but pretty much this is what we're actually talking about all the time. Further to what um, Melinda's saying, we, um, I'm, I actually buy all the brands that are experiencing all the major shake-ups of all the... Of all, yeah, so um, I'm buying collections that are the in-between collections that the design, ha design houses, um, the design teams are working on until they... Um, until they reappoint a new creative director or a new designer. So I'm, I'm, you know, as a buyer, there's a lot of respect, there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of expectation of me to keep a consistent um, uh, budget. Even if there's a design change and a design team is actually producing the collection, there's no marketing strategy behind that. No one knows the direction that it's going in. And yet we're still expected to maintain a, a certain budget. So there's a massive shake-up in the industry. And I think what comes down, and I guess maybe even the relevance for any of you sitting here in terms of understanding what we're talking about... Um, is consistency and certainly quality. It all comes down to quality. And at the end of the day, the consumer is knowledgeable. If she's buying luxury or he's buying luxury, they're buying it for a reason. They're going the distance. If they're spending those dollars and cents, they're expecting a certain amount. They expect 
that the product is not just quality, it's craftsmanship. It, is, it has the history, but it's more than just the storytelling. The proof is in the pudding. It has to come down to, you know, that the, the, the lapel is beautifully bound, the collars are perfectly straight, um, that the, you know, that the, it's, in, it's, the, it's in the detail. And that's what separates and that's the difference and that's what they're paying for and that's what they're happy to pay for. So when a design team, as opposed to a, cre a creative director under creative direction, is designing a collection and I'm allocating a budget, I'm choosing from that particular collection, the more classic pieces that are beautifully crafted that my customer can invest in, not needing it to be the, the street star star piece or the, the hyped up um, marketing piece, then suddenly I'm buying the classics from that particular collection. When a vetement um, is suddenly um, you know, appearing and we buy vetement and now um, the designer's designing for Balenciaga, um, you know, that's an interesting conundrum in a way because, um, the, you know, it comes from a conceptual background that the, the label comes from a conceptual background. It's not necessarily all about craftsmanship as it is about the concept behind the brand. And it's really interesting because that's very much what Comme des Garçons and some of the other brands is very different, let's say, to a Xenia or very different to a Fendi or very different to a Balenciaga where what's synonymous with these houses is quality and craftsmanship and history. What's, uh, these collections, it's more about the hype it's more about social media. It's more about what's the cool next thing. The customer that's buying that collection, they're spending a lot of money, but they're not necessarily caring that it's beautifully constructed. They're not necessarily caring that it's gonna last in five years time. What they're caring about is the fact that they look cool, they're buying into the hype, they're buying into the marketing, and they're only really buying into that aspect of things. So the expectation is really different. For me, as a buyer, my buying capacity for that particular brand reduces considerably. My buying capacity grows when I'm dealing with brands that have consistency, that have the history behind them, that have the craftsmanship behind them, because ultimately that's where I know I'm going to make money and that's where I know that my, my clients are going to put their hard-earned dollars and cents. And Paolo, I mean, Xenia does have the history, it has a story to tell, but how do you continue to evolve the business so it keeps up with the, the speed of fashion today? I mean, is it, is it about new product categories or about technical development for Xenia? Well, that it goes without saying. I mean, this is uh, what has been uh, in our mind all, all along the years. I mean, you, you can uh, there is not a moment in which you have a, to accentuate that or to slow down. Uh, the innovation in whatever, whether it's technology, whether it is in, uh, in product, whether it is in, uh, in selling tools, is something that you have to, 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 walk, uh, to wake up in the morning and go uh, to bed with in, in the evening. I think that today the, the, the big thing is the customer relationship, is how to really make a customer becoming loyal uh, at the most uh, uh, you can in the deepest possible way. And he's treated him not just as somebody that you sell things to, but uh, somebody that you want to become part of what you have been dreaming, what you have been working, what you have been uh, um, investing for, for for many years. So I think that the customer uh, he may still choose and go to somewhere else and, uh, and buy things uh, here and there. So I'm not taking a customer as somebody that absolutely just buys from you, but uh, that at least when he comes to you, knows exactly what he can expect uh, uh, for, for what, 
compared to what he desires. So I think that this is where we really have to innovate and constantly improve. I think one of those innovations that I've found really interesting is, is Tech Merino, and it's something you talked a little bit about in your presentation earlier. Um, and obviously it's popular because the word tech is just so uh, overused in fashion today um, as the industry becomes more and more influenced by sportswear and streetwear. But is that, for you, an important future for wool, that area of, of, uh, of pushing its technical capabilities so, you, so that you can make things like sneakers from wool, as you've done recently with that Tech Merino line? But you see, uh, there was maybe in the past, uh, the, the, unfortunately, this is why I continue to speak about the need to, con to constantly do promotion on, on wool. There are still millions of people that believe wool is... Uh, the, the, the unpleasant uh, jumper of my son when he, he, when he was at school or something that, uh, uh, I don't know, I sweat in and uh, I don't feel well, I don't know. There is still a lot of mental reaction, negative reaction to wool. Why wool, and sometimes they say, and it's too expensive. I mean, if you compare it to cotton, if you compare it to artificial fibers, it comes out as a more expensive fiber. Uh, you have to stop thinking of that and say, wool is beautiful. Wool, and uh, I'm talking to all the experts of wool, is a unique fiber. Put it on the top of the stage, tell the beauty that there is behind it, and you will be able to sell. To me, it's not a, a, a revolution what we have done in, uh, in, in promoting the Tech Merino. Tech Merino is wool in sportswear. It's just telling the story why the sportswear, the customer tells he needs that, why it has to be done in wool. And then the joint uh, uh, thing of the two things together it is a game to, to make it successful. But you have to tell the whole thing, and you have to forget, that, you know, you, you have to remember that, that, that there is some negative reaction still on the market, and you have to, to speak a different language to see the positiveness, to forget the negativeness. And, and as you said, it, it does often come out as a, as a more expensive fiber. And I wanted to ask you, Eva, um, you know, you, you said earlier that there are, there are customers that, that have money. People are willing to spend money. But, but do they come into your store, into Parlorex, and say, I'm looking for a wool blazer or a leather handbag? Or do they come in saying, I want the most stylish blazer or the best handbag I can buy? I, yeah, people, don't people aren't necessarily being specific when they're asking about a fabric um, at luxury level. I think they also trust that... Um, you know, a certain brand at a certain level is going to use the best fibre that they can possibly get their hands on. Um, so people don't ask specifically in that particular regard. But I think it's really interesting because I've been thinking, obviously, while we're sitting here and I'm thinking a lot about it. And, um, you know, I think you're right. I think there is a misconception about wool. And I think um, what's happened is over the last however many years, there is the, there is the perception that wool is potentially stiffer, a bit scratchier, and then there are other materials that you can purchase, whether it be cashmere or what have you, that's softer and that's more luxurious. Now, if you're, in, if you're informed, you know that it's not necessarily much more luxurious and there certainly are wools that can be softer. I think it's a re-education. I, I, you know, if I'm buying a collection or even if I'm thinking of myself as the actual customer being the right demographic or being someone who purchases luxury, if I was walking into um, a boutique or into my own boutique and the sales assistant was explaining to me and I said, oh, I, you know, I really want to buy that knit, I want to buy that jumper. Oh, you know, is it, 
is it cashmere? And she, oh, no, it's not cashmere. It's actually wool. It's top-grade wool. It's just a soft, if not softer, but it doesn't peel or the peeling is a minimum and it, you don't have to wash it deluxe. You can, um, you can, you know, you can hand wash it or, you know. It all comes down to understanding and knowledge and having that knowledge passed down. I would never, never be completely and totally... Um, um, you know, I could easily be swayed. I would never be completely reliant on my knowledge of thinking that I could only buy a sweater if it was a particular material. If somebody was to sit there and to educate me and to explain to me that this is actually a better pro product or equally as good and these are the reasons why, 100% and certainly at luxury, at luxury level where everybody wants the story that comes with the product, you can definitely be re-educated and that misconception can certainly go out the window. So I think that's also a part of the process in, in, in you know, understanding. I need to understand. I would like to understand a little bit better about the wool fibres and to know which sweaters peel, you know, which, which um, fibres can be produced um, to create a knit where the, you know, it's not scratchy, it is extremely soft, the care instructions are really easy to read. You know, I mean, when somebody's investing um, in an expensive piece, they don't necessarily factor in and every time they wear it, it has to be deluxe dry creamed an extra $100 on top of that, which, you know, doesn't feel like it's value for money. It feels as if it's too complicated. But if they know that they're dealing with... with fibres or they're dealing with um, product that is actually easier, I think that, you know, that misconception can definitely go by the wayside. And, and we talk about luxury and it's become a bit of an intangible concept, I think, in the 21st century because everyone uses that term. It's yeah. become so overused. Yeah. Melinda, from your experience, what, uh, you know, what is luxury fashion today? I mean, what, what does that mean to the consumer? Um, I, I wish I owned the word luxury because I could control it uh, and where it's used and, and, and how it's used. I, one of the things I, I'm very passionate about is, um, you know, luxury really is made up of several elements, which I um, talked about earlier, and it is provenance. And this is a beautiful, you know, the wall, the Xenia, that vertical is amazing. So it's about provenance, quality, um, rarity, exclusivity, and in so, as I said, they're the key things for me. And then, obviously, heritage is, is definitely thrown in if that's relevant. Um, what makes up luxury today? I, I, I think it really is... Luxury is slightly subjective um, because I think it's really what, what people are wanting. I think it's the availability, um, as we talked about before, the brands that we, we have come to know and love over many, many years... Um, being available, still being modern and still being relevant and being able to purchase how you wish as a consumer, whether that is online or via the telephone or, or in the store, as, I, you know, as, as we're all very well-travelled, also in many countries. I mean, to me, a standout in terms of luxury fashion and luxury fashion house... It has those elements, and then, very much as Paolo mentioned, um, another thing that I'm very passionate about is the is is the consumer experience. And I think um, we can have that online, absolutely, and we can have that in a bricks and mortar space. And to me, if you have an expectation of a luxury brand, not only in the beautiful product that they've delivered, it must be completely rounded out in that whole cycle. Um, of engagement, and that to me is a luxury. When 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 a brand delivers from the from every touch point, 
um, through their, their, their marketing messages, through the in-store experience, the quality, the storytelling, that is an absolute luxury. And if you don't do that, then you are not luxury. And does that resonate for you, Paolo, as well, in terms of uh, Xenia's positioning and, and idea of uh, the luxury it wants to, to offer its customers? Listen, I think that the meaning of luxury today, uh, and is not just related to to, uh, to fashion, is not a relation uh, is not a relation with a high price. Is how much time do I save, and how much I realize my desires. That's it. Uh, in closing today's forum, we might just uh, open open this conversation up to the audience as I, I think we might have some questions for our speakers here. So if you do have a question, please just raise your hand and I, I think we have a microphone or we have a, an app you can send to your... I've got through. a couple of questions from the app. Would Great. you like me to, um, to ask them? Uh, firstly, a few people are wondering, uh, Mitchell, where are your socks? Is there something wrong with wool socks? With the prize. The wool shortage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we do have, uh, obviously, wool growers and, and those in the textile industry here in the room. I think, Paolo, this is for you. Do you see, for those involved in the sub-10 micron growing region, um, do you see new avenues or products for those involved in that fine, fine, fine wool? Where are things going for, for those people? What, what sub-10? Uh, um, when people are, are working with um, under 10 microns with their wool, are there any particular avenues, products, uh, things that they should be aiming towards? As growers? What, telling you the truth, uh, what, one thing is the window. One thing is the, re the, the reality of the shop. I put the very fine things, the extreme that have been achieved in growing wool, uh, you know, 12, 11, 10.5, 10 microns, something which uh, raised the attention, obviously makes a little, very limit, a limited number of products uh, that are the top of everything. Uh, but they are not a tendency of the market. They, they, they have to be really a window to show how extreme and beautifully um, and beautiful, beautifully treated wool can become. Um, the reality is somewhere else. The reality that uh, we all live in is uh, uh, in, in the very broader sense of quality. So fineness uh, is one thing, and uh, by what I explained before, in fact, is the reason for uh, a trophy, one of the two trophies we have. The other, in fact, is the real world uh, trophy uh, that maybe, by the way, will evolve in the future and has many more characteristics of wool that make that wool more in line with what is the overall desire in the market. Eva, I think the ne next question possibly is for you. Um, at the coalface, selling to your customers within your store, is there a hole in the market that you, you think could be fulfilled by wool? Is there something that you think your customers would like more of that you're, you're not getting right now? Yeah, I think um, um, relating to the last, um, the last point that I made before, I think um, it would be awesome to um, 
to have a you know a wool product, a wool sweater, or a wool suit, or you know a, a wool dress, um, to have knowledge that there is um, there is a material out there that could be easily washed, easily cared for, that wouldn't peel, um, that's light, um, that um, that's soft, um, that feels luxurious. I know this exists, but I just I guess more widely known and maybe for some of the, the luxury houses to actually have more access to them and to be using them more. Obviously, I'm, you know, I don't manufacture, so I'm buying what's available to me. And I think if, if it was more available to me with the knowledge that of the easy care instructions and the knowledge that there'd be less peeling, I would prefer to buy that over any other product. So if that was accessible to me within the big luxury houses that I would buy from, not just me, Unquestionably, if that was part of the sales pitch to me in a showroom and to all of my um, contemporaries and competitors, hands down, that would be a driving force for sure. And then obviously, you know, Paolo initially was talking about the fantastic um, uh, marketing that wool does, um, which is, it, you know, it's relevant, it's cool, it's edgy, it's new. Um, to be able to market wool on that level, that would surpass cashmere as people's impression, impression of cashmere, you know, ten, tenfold. I had a question asked to me a while ago from a man that went into a department store and he wanted to buy a beautiful suit. Now, he was swayed in no particular way. He didn't mind if it was a cashmere mix or, or a wool mix, whatever. He found that there was a young girl selling the wool that really did not know the story, the marketing. Imagine I am a young girl working in a department store and I have five minutes with a customer because that's how fast it is. They're in, they're out. You've got to tell that story. What would you tell them are the benefits of a wool suit? Not a genuine, a wool suit. Exactly. Sell me. She's asking you to give your best sales pitch. Give me your sales pitch. <laughs> you on. I'm walking out the door. Uh, you came... You want to give her five minutes? Give me a second to, to reply. <laughs> um, I think that Should I go to I, this? the touch is extremely important. The touch. I think is the description of the touch, and second, the feeling once he have, uh, once he has the the, the suit on, uh, uh, on 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 him, is to give him a reason why it touches so beautifully, and. It suits him so well. So she needs to have that knowledge, how the suit was made, and what is the fabric giving those pleasant characteristics he possibly is looking for. Certainly the touch is one of the things that the people, if they don't know a clue, if they don't have an idea of what they want to buy, is a very attractive element. And then how you fit in, that's the second one. Have I answered? Yep, yep. Short. Yeah, what, what, um, okay, do, how often would I need to dry clean uh, the wool over, over a, a cashmere or silk or whatever? That's come after, you know. I, uh... You've already purchased <laughs> it. Begin with the touch, begin with the touch. Begin with the touch, you said to be short. Uh... There, this is a, a question from the app. There's a perception that online is cheaper for some. You know different. Um, for you, when you have the opportunity to sell both online and, and in the stores, um, the, the question here is um, uh, how do you manage the pricing online versus in store? 
it, it, be the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> There's your answer. Are there any more questions from the floor? Oh, hi. I guess uh, this would be in line with your question when you have five minutes to explain something. Uh, what if the customer is curious about the value chain and uh, how the sheep are treated? What would you then say in not five minutes, but maybe half a minute? Who is that? Yeah, that's for you, uh, Mr. Seg. Uh, can, you, can you repeat it then? I was thinking that if the customer is curious about the value chain, and uh, the, the transparency of uh, from sheep to shop. What would you highlight for the customer about the, va the value chain, how the sheep were uh, treated, et cetera? What we do is simple. I mean, uh, we, we say we, we have more than 100 years experience. Uh, fortunately, we, we got to a certain perception from the consumers that uh, uh, is in a way sometimes uh, uh, meaning of uh, absolute quality. And the fact that we can guarantee an experience in every single step of what there is behind the product, I think is the best way to start a conversation. Then the more he wants to ask, uh, you have to be able to say, well, if you say you're good in cloth, tell me why you are better in cloth. If you want to, uh, if he's asking uh, any other question about any other point of the, of the process, you then have to, to, to be ready to answer. But the fact that uh, as a first answer you can say, I know every single ring of the chain because I have a control of it and I have a long experience of that. I think it's quite a good way to start. Are there any more questions from the audience before we, uh, we break for the day? Oh, I think that's it. Anything? Okay. Well, if you could please again thank you, uh, thank our three speakers for today. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode. IWTO will be in Harrogate, North Yorkshire for its 86th Annual Congress with another group of experts from industry and retail. To learn more about Wool or to join us at the Congress, visit the IWTO website at iwto.org or connect with IWTO on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. 